Pastor Xavier Reese and the far-extending loving arm of God. Notice the judgment of God pronounced was tempered with the tender mercy over Moab. And the word mercy again is hesed, loving kindness, steadfast love, a key word to the Old Testament. In the midst of God's wrath, there is always mercy and compassion. Keep that in mind. He hates judgment. He'd rather be merciful. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Even though you may not know all the trials and heartache that lay before you, there is one thing you can rely on. That's the truth of God's Word, and especially the end of the story. Today, Pastor Xavier goes back to the book of Isaiah as he pulls out encouraging truths regarding your future. So right now, let's turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, for today's encouraging study, A Place of Refuge, Petra. Prophecy is one of the most amazing things that we possess in the Scriptures, for in them we have the absolute guarantee that God exists and that He cannot lie. He has gone out of His way to reveal things before they happen, so when they happen, we know that it's God who has spoken. No other, quote, quote, religious book claims this quality, prophecy. Buddhism doesn't. Islam doesn't. It's only Christianity. Now, Isaiah the prophet gives to us one of the most amazing prophecies that is found in the Old Testament. Dealing with the city of Petra and the nation of Israel in the last days. But it's a nugget. It's like men, when they're searching for jewels and diamonds, they go into mine, they go down miles on their knees, and they jeopardize their life to come up with this little stinking thing. It's time that we roll our sleeves up as the men and women of God and go mining for the riches of Christ in Scripture. This is where our study comes in. This is where our passion and our hunger comes in regarding God. And there's no better example than the nugget that we find here. The prophecy of Isaiah will unfold for us in a simple threefold step in a chronological order. Let me um, read these five verses and we'll move through them. Send the lamb to the ruler of the land, from Selah to the wilderness, to the mount of the daughters of Zion. For it shall be as a wandering bird thrown out of its nest, for So shall the daughters of Moab at the fords of Arnon. Take counsel, execute judgment. Make your shadow like the night in the middle of the day. Hide the outcasts. Do not betray him who escapes. Let my outcasts dwell with you, O Moab. Be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler. For the extortioner is at an end. Devastation ceases. The oppressors are consumed out of the land. In mercy, the throne will be established, and one will sit on it in truth, in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking justice and hastening righteousness. A threefold development chronologically regarding the city of Petra and the nation of Israel in the last days. First, the near fulfillment. Verse 1 
through 3. Second, the far fulfillment, verse 4. And third, the ultimate fulfillment, verse 5. And he just gives it to us, real simple, easy to miss if we don't look at it carefully. Let's begin with the first step here, the near fulfillment. First three verses. Notice first that God pronounced judgment over Moab. The judgment of Moab occupies chapter 15 and 16. The judgment of the Gentile nations are always in view in relationship to Israel. We see this from chapter 13 to 23 of Isaiah. They are mentioned only in their relationship towards Israel. Now, the nation of Israel is also mentioned in judgment in that section because Israel was living like the Gentiles, dishonoring and not trusting God. We find this in Amos. We find it in other prophets. Now, the people of Moab were, in a sense, related to Israel. As you know, Moab was the result of the descendants of Lot through his incestuous relationship with his older daughter and then the younger daughter became those of the Ammonites. And we find that in Genesis 19, 30 through 38. When God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, they thought that God had destroyed all of mankind. And they said, let's get our father drunk and we'll perpetuate the seed. So one laid with him one night, then the other one the other night. And that was the result of Moab and Ammon. Moab, as you know, was afraid of Israel as Israel began to take the land as they came out of the Exodus. And so King Balak sent for Balaam the prophet to hire him to curse Israel in Numbers 22 through 24. God told Balaam not to go. They returned with a greater offer of money, and God told them not to go unless they came for him. In the morning, Balaam was gone. And you know the whole story. We don't have time for it this morning, but the angel of the Lord was there, was going to strike him, and the donkey saw the angel and just collapsed underneath him, and Balaam was so mad he struck the donkey. The donkey turned around and said, Hey, Balaam, listen. I don't know the donkey you've ridden since I was little. Have you ever known for me to do something like this? He goes, No. And, and then God opened his eyes. and God would not allow Balaam to curse Israel because God had blessed Israel. Simple principle. If you belong to God... The wicked one cannot touch you unless God allows the testing to come. Remember the book of Job, chapter 1 and 2. Very important. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. 1 John 4, 4. Always keep that in mind. Now, as we move on with the history of Moab, Moab, since they couldn't curse Israel, through the counsel of Balaam, they committed fornication in the gross of acacia, or the acacia grows there in Numbers 25. And as you know, uh, the young women came in the midst of the Israelites there and began to entice the men on how to worship their deities through the worship of fertility. And the people of Israel were joined to Baal, and the anger of the Lord arose and struck them. As this judgment was falling upon them, Moses began to speak to the judges and the town to bring speedy justice and to kill every man who was involved in this worship. And in the very midst of this uh, scenario, there was a young man 
of Israel who walked in with this Midianite young girl. I think her name was Cosby, the daughter of Cosby. It's given to us. And he presented it to his brethren and went right into the tent and they went at it. The worship bow on their fertility worship through sexual rights. Phineas was so incensed that he grabbed the javelin and just walked into the tent and thrust them both through. And God said, because of the zealousness of Phineas, he would honor him and have him in the priesthood forever, his, his descendants. A zeal for the Lord. 24,000 died in the plague that the Lord struck Israel with as Moab enticed and stumbled them. The judgment of Moab was long coming. And Isaiah says it is certain. Now, it involves chapter 15 and 16. Here we are in chapter 16. He's already declared in chapter 15 the certainty of this judgment. And we're not going to belabor it. But let me just kind of bring up to date what's there on 15, what he said so far. In verse 1, the various cities that are to be destroyed are named there, Ar and Ker, on the east side of the Jordan River, on the eastern side of the Dead Sea. So if you look at Israel, the eastern side of the Dead Sea, it would be from the top of the Dead Sea down to the bottom. It runs all the way down, Moab, a little further down south. The desperation and wailing is described for us in verses 2 through 4 in that judgment. In verse 2, they would wail in the temple of Dibon on the high places and weep. The area of the north of, of the Arnon River. The Arnon River comes in the middle of the Dead Sea from the eastern side. And they would be wailing there, but they would find no relief. Uh, also in verse 2, their grief is a funeral mourning for the nation, having baldness and the cutting of the beard, an outward manifestation of grief and, and desperation. In verse 3, the streets would be filled with people with sackcloth on the top of their houses wailing bitterly. In verse 4, the various cities would be crying out, and they will be heard at the farthest cities away. Soldiers will become a burden to themselves in the futility of their victory. The judgment is coming. In verse 5 through 9, the wailing of Moab then is partaking of the prophet. You see, whenever we declare judgment to come, it is never with the smack of the lips. It is always in terms of warning that people might run and avoid judgment. The prophet demonstrates the heart of the child of God here, even though he's in the Old Testament. Verse 5, the desperation and flight to Zoar and Horonium, carrying the message of their destruction is given. Zoar, remember, was that city that the angels told Lot to go to, but he didn't want, or in fact, they told him to go to the mountains, and they said, and he wanted to go to the Zoar. He says, no, don't go. They let him go. He ended up in the mountains anyway. Down there by the southern end of the Dead Sea, where Sodom and Gomorrah was. Verse 6, they would have neither water nor providence. As the Assyrians were the ones to fulfill this judgment, as we'll see, they used to have the custom of damming up the rivers. There was no provisions of water. Verse 7, they will attempt to carry with them the riches as they flee. Verse 8 and 9, the message of total destruction has gone out. The waters of Dibon filled with blood, and lions devour those who escape. Pretty heavy judgment. Now, this brings us to the prophecy here of Isaiah. But the reason for the judgment of Moab is given to us in verse 6 of chapter 16. 
It says, we have heard of the pride of Moab. He is very proud of his haughtiness and his pride and his wrath, but his lies shall not be so. So the prophet and Judah had heard of the pride of Moab. The prophet affirms the fact that Moab is proud. And then the prophet declares that Moab is proud about three things. Don't miss them. First, he was proud about his haughtiness. He was proud that he was proud. Some people are like that. Secondly, he was proud of his wrath. And there's people like that. They just boast about how they can intimidate people with their outbursts, with their power, with their ability to physically subdue. Yeah, you should have seen that guy, boy. <laughs> Man's heart. The prophet prophesies that Moab's lies, literally vain talk, should not be so. I tell you, if you're proudful and you live through pride, the day you meet Jesus is going to be an awesome day. It's going to be a scary day, and it's not going to be scary for Jesus. Honest. Now, God pronounces the tribute judgment of Moab, which brings us to our first three verses of chapter 16. Now you better understand what's going to happen, who these people are and everything else, okay? Now notice, first of all, in verse 1, the prophet declares the tribute of the refugees of Moab that was to be paid. Much like in the days of David and Solomon in 2 Kings 3-4. David had brought Moab under subjection, and they paid tribute to him, and also in the days of Solomon as he inherited the throne. Now, Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams, Kings tells us. But when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel, and he refused to pay that tribute and continued the covenant. And so war broke out between them, and he ended up being defeated. The date of Isaiah's prophecy is believed to be 704 B.C. Interesting that two years after this, 702 B.C., Sargon attacked Arabia. And because he had to go through Moab, he devastated Moab on the way in. And after he destroyed and conquered Arabia, on his way back, he whacked her again, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. How interesting. Notice also here the place from which they were to send the tribute was from Selah, or Petra. It means rock. Petra was a city carved out of the sandstone rock, which was impregnable due to the 200-foot cliffs and the narrow entrance, no more than 10 to 12 feet at a time, and it winds around like a snake. So you have to go on a horseback. And so when men would come in, uh, the few men could guard the entrance. they just knock them off. They couldn't come in. It laid in the great trade route between Syria and Egypt, benefiting from the trade and the caravan taxes, so it was very wealthy. The personal condition of the refugees is described vividly in verse 2. They would be as a wandering weak bird cast out of its nest looking for refuge. We've all seen little birds that are all weak. They can barely fly a little bit, and they come down, and you're going, you, you know, it moves you with compassion. This is the idea here. 
In the midst of God's wrath, there is always mercy and compassion. His judgment is a strange way to work, the scriptures declare. Keep that in mind. He hates judgment. He'd rather be merciful. Remember Jonah? That's why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He knew God was merciful. Notice the judgment of God pronounced was tempered with the tender mercy over Moab. And the word mercy, again, is hesed, loving kindness, steadfast love, a key word through the Old Testament that God uses, particularly towards Israel, his people. Loving kindness, steadfast love. That's what we need today in Christian homes. Loving kindness and steadfast love. God, through the prophet Isaiah, declares the city of Petra here to be a relief. God, through Isaiah, declares for the city of Petra to hide the outcasts, those who fled to her. God, through Isaiah, declares, notice, that the city of Petra not betray the one who escaped to her. Mercy. Archaeologists after archaeologists has discovered civilization and documents that only verify the scriptures. Never has there been one archaeologist to discover something to contradict the scriptures. You see, this is God speaking. We have plenty of past judgments to affirm that God has spoken. Second Peter uh, 20, chapter 1, 20-21 says that men of old did not speak of their own impulse, but they were carried about by the Spirit of God assuring that what you have in your possession is God's inspired, verbal, plenary inspiration. Every word. You can depend your life on him. The flood of Noah. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. The dispersion of the Jews in 70 AD. The Bible's full of them. Things that were told before they happened. So when they happened, people would know that it was God who spoke. This is a favorite challenge of Isaiah when we get to chapter 40 all the way to 66. And he tells the gods, if any gods out there tell me things before they happen, so when they happen, I can declare you God. No one ever's taking him up on it. He is the one who knows the end from the beginning. This is the near fulfillment. It took place. Just as Isaiah declared it. Now, Notice, secondly, you have the far fulfillment. Verse 4. Now, the first thing I want you to note here is the prophet, without any warning, speaks of the last days. And he goes from the refugees of Moab to those of Israel in the last days when Israel will be protected by God in the city of Petra against the Antichrist. Without any announcement, he just keeps on talking. But this is a common practice of Isaiah and also of all the prophets. Later on, a real familiar one is Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and 2, where um, Isaiah speaks of the coming of the Messiah, the first and the second coming. But he doesn't distinguish it, and we would never know it. But it's not until Jesus goes into the synagogue of Nazareth in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, that as the scroll of Isaiah was given to him, he read out of it. He says, this day in your hearing, these scriptures are fulfilled. And he stopped in the middle of verse 2 and handed it back. And we can clearly see that Jesus gave the interpretation of the first and his second coming. But Isaiah didn't stop. He just kept on declaring, just as here, the short, the long term. And we see this often. 
Joel does this also in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 32. As he speaks in the last day, God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams, and so on and so forth. And then when Peter quotes in the day of Pentecost in chapter 2, verse 14 through 21, he quotes Joel completely through, and yet it wasn't fulfilled completely in the day of Pentecost because the moon did not turn blood red, the sun didn't go dark, and the stars certainly didn't fall. That is yet for the future Last seven years, in particular the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. So we see this often where the prophet speaks short-term, long-term, near, far, without making the distinction. But then in the New Testament, we understand that it gives us the distinction. Now notice three things are pointed out by the prophet Isaiah regarding Israel here. First, God declares, let my... Outcasts dwell with you, O Moab. He calls them his outcasts. God declares that before it happens, so when it happens, they would know. His possession, Israel, Exodus 19, verse 2, 3, 4. His treasure, his people, his outcasts. He names the place of Moab and the city of Petra in the context here. Very specific. When you get specific about prophecy, you putting yourself out on the line. If you just say things generally, you know, you go see some of these necromancers and soothsayers and spiritualists and new age gurus, yo-yo heads, and, you know, they're going to speak in generalities. But you have them talk to you in specifics. They'll never hit the mark. Secondly, God declares for Moab to be his instrument of help. Be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler, for the extortioner is at an end. Devastation ceases. The spoiler and extortioner are two of the titles for the Antichrist. Mark that and make sure you understand that. Two titles for the Antichrist. The time is near the close of the rule of the Antichrist. At an end, devastation ceases. This is the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. Because the first three and a half years, he's a good guy. False Messiah. False peace. Notice thirdly, God declares, the oppressors are consumed out of the land. Those who are one with the Antichrist are identified here. And the nations that will attempt to stop Jesus from setting up his kingdom are identified here. What a nugget in Isaiah, huh? The Bible is very, very clear that the Antichrist will help the Jews build their temple. One of those places is Revelation 11.1. 1. He will build it. The temple will be on the north end of the Temple Mount. And as you know, the trouble is the Dome of the Rock and the mosque that's there, the Alas Mosque. But Revelation 11.2 and Ezekiel 42.20 in particular tells us that there will be a wall built to separate the holy from the profane. In fact, John in Revelation 11.2 says, Do not measure out the, court, the outer court. That's given to the Gentile. Ezekiel 42.20 confirms it by the wall being built. So you're going to be able to have the Jew and the Muslim on the same mount. Amazing. That's how they're going to solve it. In fact, Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, flee. Matthew 24, 15. He's talking about the same thing. Israel then will be persecuted 
and pursued by the Antichrist and his forces. But God will protect Israel and provide a place for her in the city of Petra during the last three and a half years of Great Tribulation. Pastor Xavier Reese, carefully explaining that even in the worst time of tribulation, our hope is in a God who honors His Word and takes care of His own. And there's much more to come next time. Now, if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, you can pick up a copy of this message, and the title to ask for is A Place of Refuge, Petra. It's available on CD for only $4. Now, once again, the title to ask for is A Place of Refuge, Petra, or simply mention today's date. You can request yours by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Basic science tells us the world revolves around the sun, and basic Bible study shows how the history of man revolves around the Son of God. Pastor Xavier Reese brings more simple truths from the prophet Isaiah next time. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com